really excited uh, to share with you guys this, this morning. I think God has been uh, already speaking tons to us. Um, I want to uh, read a parable that is quite well known, uh, one of Jesus' uh, most well-known parables, uh, and I hope that we can really get some encouragement from it. Uh, and we go to Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 17, and then I want to look at the context uh, when Jesus spoke these words, and then uh, look at uh, what does it mean for us today. So in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 17, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk or new cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved." Now, if this is your first time uh, in church, or you're visiting, and you're wondering uh, why are we talking about wine, why are we talking about wineskins, we will get to, to this. But that is the last few words that Jesus spoke in this parable. That's what I'm going to focus on uh, when he talks about new wine and wineskins. Uh, but I promise we're not a bunch of weirdos. So this parable... We find it in Matthew, we find it in Mark, uh, in fact I believe that it's in Mark chapter 2, which it's the passage that Daniel mentioned earlier, we find it in Luke, we do not find it in John, but we do know that John, when he writes the gospel, is a little bit different from the first three guys. Uh, we find the time frame uh, of, of uh, when Jesus spoke these words and told this parable in John chapter 5, but G- uh, John focuses on something completely different, and actually when Jesus spoke this parable, it's, uh, it's a time of Jesus' ministry with this tons going on, and in fact, we Within a chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, Luke chapter 5, within one chapter, there is so much that it's happening, and it's so critical. It's it's just before Jesus uh, told this parable, he calls Matthew uh, to follow him. He calls Matthew as his disciple. And then there's, there's a lot of healing, a lot of miracles. Uh, the, the story that, that Daniel shared happens in the context uh, of, of, of Jesus uh, t- uh, telling this, this parable. Uh, and the Pharisees are having a go at Jesus for breaking uh, all the religious rules and going against the, the religious rules uh, that they had. Uh, and then Jesus brings the disciples for the first time together as a team and he sends them out. So there's a lot going on just before Jesus told this parable and just after. A lot of critical and and, and the the chapters are packed with a lot that is happening in Jesus' ministry in the lives of the disciples that are just starting to follow Jesus. Uh, But I really want to look at this from Matthew's perspective. And that's why I went uh, to Matthew rather than the other Gospels where you can find the same story. I want to look at Matthew because, in a way, Matthew is writing about uh, his own conversion. He's, he's writing about the first time that Jesus 
uh, came to him and called him and invited him to join him as a disciple. He's writing about the very first encounter that he had with Jesus. And I wonder if Matthew is just, you know, trying to put this down in paper and it's like, I feel a little bit emotional, you know, because do you remember the first time that you met Jesus? Do you remember the first time that Jesus called you by name that said, come on, I've got something better for your life? And I wonder if Matthew is trying to write this down and says, guys, Mark, Luke, I need, I need your help to write this down. John, where, where's John? John is off. John is off with Jesus. He's, he's taking his mental notes. But Mark and Luke are there and like, yes, let's write this down together. What happened? What did Jesus say? What happened on that day? And I just want you to imagine that you are Matthew. You are a tax collector. And let's face it, nobody likes the tax men. Nobody likes the tax men. You're Jewish, and you have uh, certain principles and beliefs and traditions and religion and values and ethos, but you work for the Romans. And somewhere along the line, you've, you've had to cut corners, and you've compromised, and you've done things that you are not proud of. But maybe you had to, to make those decisions. Maybe you had no choice. You had to get to that point in your life, maybe you were struggling and you had to fight and you thought you, you made the best with, with the situation that you had. But maybe your intentions were, were good, although the, the actions that you, you took, the decisions that you made were not so good. But people don't know that. People, they just judge you because you're a tax collector. You're not a nice person. They're nice to your face. They have to be because of your position in society and whatnot, but they're not your friends. You are alone, you feel ashamed, you're isolated. And here comes Jesus. And you've probably heard about Jesus, because he was drawing a crowd, and you, you heard about this, this incredible preacher, this incredible teacher, this, this man of compassion, that it's really about uh, the, the people that are on the outskirts of society, Uh, And he's different. He's different from all the other religious people that are in your circle of acquaintances. There's an authenticity about this man. There's an integrity about this man that really appeals to you. Maybe you even heard him say, give to Caesars what it's due to Caesars. And as a money man, that, that resonates with you. You've heard about him and you think, this guy's never want to have anything to do with me. And as he's walking by, you're probably looking down. You, you, you're so ashamed, you, you don't dare look up. But Jesus stops right in front of you and says, Matthew, follow me. And for the first time, you feel accepted and you don't feel judged. You feel loved, forgiven, even empowered to do something greater with your life that you're not a lost cause. Matthew, come and follow me. I wonder the uproar that this caused. Because Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just invite Matthew, and he doesn't do it in secret. He's like, come, come follow me. It says in chapter 9 that Jesus is reclining at a table. Reclining at a table. He is chilling. 
he is relaxing, he's at his most comfortable with Matthew and all his friends who are tax, tax collectors as well and sinners. Jesus is there eating and drinking with the worst of society. Oh, the scandal. What? And this is why John's um, disciples, John the Baptist and the, and the Pharisees are saying, what is going on? We're fasting. We're doing all the right religious stuff. And you're eating and drinking with the worst. It is a scandal. And it's the scandal of grace. Because Jesus is ushering a new era of God's love and God's mercy, God's forgiveness. And he's upsetting the, established, the, the establishment. And it's in this context that we find this parable. It's in this context that Jesus speaks these words. So what is he saying? Why is he talking about wine all of a sudden? Now, we, we, we walk around with water. Uh, we like to, to carry water in our water bottles and feel healthy. Um, we don't really walk around with uh, animal skin filled with wine. Uh, if we did, we'd probably get arrested, um, either for drinking in public or for, you know, skinning animals. Uh, and I, I remember when I was uh, stopped by an overzealous PCO for drinking a ginger beer. Uh, and I had to throw it away. I was like, but it's ginger beer. It's no good. You had to throw it away. <laughs> Fine. Uh, we just don't walk around with uh, goat skins filled with wine. Uh, but in those days... In the Far East, there was a real lack of water. Uh, so wine, carrying wine, was really a necessity rather than a luxury. It wasn't so much a vice, but it was a necessity. Um, and wine it was a real symbol of, of sustenance and life, uh, but also of, of transformation and change because of the fermentation process. Uh, so it's important that we, that, that we understand uh, what wine means and what it, what it represents. It represents sustenance and life. So what is Jesus actually saying uh, when he talks about wine and wineskins? How does it apply to our lives? And I think he's saying a lot of things, but there's three things that I really want to draw our attention to. The first thing is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's Jesus plus your nothing that equals everything. Jesus was telling them that he had come to bring something completely new. Now, Jesus is not something that they could add on to what they already believed, to, the, to what they already chose their lifestyles to be. It's not like a patch that you can put on a garment but he's something completely new. And the Pharisees believed that their, their law, their teachings, that they were fine. Now, you might say, I'm, I'm not a Pharisee, I'm not, you know, I don't follow the Old Testament. And you might even say, I'm not religious, so I don't believe, uh, so this doesn't apply to me. The Pharisees, what they represent is that it's their spirit, their attitude in their hearts that says, I've, I've got this. I do not need God. I have, I have figured it out. 
And there's something in our hearts, especially in our society, where we say, I've, I've, I've read books, and I've watched YouTube videos, uh, and I've, you know, I've thought well about this, and I've come up with my own belief, and I've come up with my own theory about how to deal with things and how to live. And, and I'm all right. I'm okay. I don't need God in my life. And that's the, heart, the attitude and the, and, and the heart that Jesus keeps coming up against and, and says, it's not your self-righteousness. You have to let go of that self-righteousness, of that theology of, I'm all right, actually. I've got this. I can figure it out in my own strength. And in our own lives, how often do we add Jesus to our own way Maybe our old way of living and of doing things. What is that old in our lives that we hang on to? Is it maybe a, a thought pattern, a wrong thought pattern, or a, or a way of dealing with, with difficulties in a certain situation? Is it maybe a, a, an unhealthy habit, an addiction, unhealthy rela- relationships, a desire for unhealthy relationships? What is that old thing that we hang on to, and then we try to then tuck Jesus along to on the side. And Jesus just won't fit around our own beliefs and our own way of doing things. He wants to take the whole space. He wants to completely bring something completely new. Jesus didn't come simply to patch up our tattered lives. He came to give us completely new ones. As it says in Ezekiel, we're going to look at this verse in Ezekiel, chapter 11, verse 19. We don't just need band-aids to fix our hearts. We know that there's something wrong with us, but it's not just a matter of patching things up and fixing it. We need brand new hearts together. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Jesus plus our nothing equals everything. We can just add Jesus onto our old ways. He wants us to let go and surrender of our old ways and take preeminence in our heart. Jesus plus our nothing equals everything. He is our everything, and he satisfies the longing of our hearts. The second thing I think that Jesus is saying And I think that God has already said this this morning. I want to do a new thing. I want to bring you into a new season. Now, we can look at this this passage in the context of uh, new wine, new covenant. We have the Old Testament. Now we're in the New Testament. We have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. and, um, And there's a lot of that in that passage. But I think that Jesus is also saying, God wants to do something new. God is always on the move. And there is nothing wrong with old wine. If you read the same story in Luke, Luke says at the end, old wine is great. Old wine tastes fantastic. It's not about young, new, replacing the old. It's not about age. But what he's saying is, there is never a lack of new wine. There is always a constant supply of new wine. God is always doing something new. Are we ready for it? In the Gospels, we see this over and over with Jesus and the dynamics that he had with the disciples. They would get somewhere and Jesus would say, let's go. 
Let's get on the boat. Let's go on the other side of the lake. Oh, but Jesus, we just got here and we're tired and we just fed 5,000. The lovers, can we not just stay here? Come on. Oh, let's get on the boat. And, you know, these guys are fishermen and Jesus is a carpenter. And I wonder if they were like, come on, Jesus, seriously, trust us. We've been out there. There's nothing. We've been fishing all day. Nothing happened. Look at the clouds. It's going to be a storm. And Jesus is saying, come on, let's go. And as they followed Jesus, doing the ordinary stuff the fishermen do, just getting on their boats and getting out to the lake and fishing, and then they saw Jesus calming the storm, filling their nets, walking on water. By the time they get to the other side, they're thinking, who is this man doing the ordinary things of their lives? But God is doing a new thing. Jesus is showing and revealing something new to them. And by the time they get to the other side, he's got something new for them on on, on the other shore as well. God is constantly on the move. God wants to do a new thing today. He wants to do a new thing in me. He wants to do a new thing in you. He wants us to usher us into a new season for us individually, as a church, as a nation. He's never stagnant. God is moving. So we said Jesus plus or nothing equals everything. God is moving us into a new season. And the last thing that I think Jesus is saying is fresh, not new. Koinos, not neo. I think those are the Greek words. It's fantastic that Jesus is using very different words. As he's talking about old wine and old skin... And then he starts talking about new skin. But actually, he doesn't use the same word to, to describe the old and the new. And I'm sure that Jesus was a fantastic speaker. I mean, he could draw a crowd. And he's got everybody listening. And as he's just saying, oh, you know, you've got the old wine and the old skin. And you've got the new wine. And I wonder if he just paused. And he left it out there for a little bit. So that people, you know, maybe let them stew. Or so people could get there on their own. And maybe one of the disciples would say, I know this, new wine, new skin. But then Jesus says, fresh skin. Fresh, fresh. Why fresh? Why the difference? So what's the deal with wineskins? You can Google it. I did. So now I'm an expert on wineskins. So what they would do is it would be usually goat skin, so leather, uh, and they would put the wine in the, in the goat skin. It would be sewed in inside, so, be, so it would contain the wine. Um, wine obviously ferments, produces gas, expands, uh, so the wine skin needed to be elastic and flexible so it could expand with the wine. Uh, the problem with old wine skins is that as they, uh, as they expand, they break, uh, they tear, um, and then they brittle, and, and uh, as they become old, they lose that uh, flexibility and elasticity. Uh, so if you were to put new wine into an old wineskin, uh, obviously new wine, again, would ferment, pro- uh, produce gas, and it, the, the wineskin wouldn't be able to expand and contain it, and it would just break. Uh, so that's the problem with, with old wineskins. So what happens to old wineskins? 
they just get thrown away. Well, leather, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's durable, it's strong, uh, it's also you know, a commodity, uh, it's valuable. That's not, what, uh, that's not what they would do with old wineskins. And they would go through a process of restoration. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about fresh wineskins. You're not saying you need new wineskins. Obviously, you will always make new wineskins. But not necessarily when you end up with old wineskins. They would restore old wineskins to fresh wineskins. So how did they do that? What was the process of restoration? They would take the old wineskins and they would soak them in oil. Like I said, the, the old wineskins, because they expanded, they cracked, they, they were torn... And as they were soaking in oil, the oil would just seep through the cracks and permeate the whole wineskin and sort of restore, regenerate, uh, renew the wineskin so that they would be just as subtle uh, and, and soft uh, as new wineskins. And they could be used again for new wine. You don't put new wine in old skins. You need fresh wine skin. Now that takes the, the, the meaning of, of this passage to an all other level for me. Because let's face it, we're all a bit cracked and torn. We're all a bit scarred by the pressures of life. Uh, our own failures, our own sin, our own mistakes, our own uh, unhealthy decisions, uh, uh, the hurts, uh, what's been done to us. We carry these wounds and, and these scars. So we're all a little bit cracked and torn. And Jesus looks at us and he doesn't say, that's it, you're old wineskin, you're done, got to chuck you away. He says, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. We know that the oil in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So we have this picture of us soaking in oil, of soaking in the Holy Spirit, soaking in his presence. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit as the comforter, the advocate, the one that, 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 that fights our cause, that fights our corner, the one that brings comfort and healing. In Romans, we read that, that it's through the Holy Spirit that the love of God is poured out in our hearts. So it's as, as we sit in God's presence, as we allow the Holy Spirit to seep through, through, seep through our, the cracks and our wounds and our scars, He brings healing and He brings restoration and He makes us whole again so that we can be filled with new wine. It's often a natural response when we carry those, those uh, scars to become rigid and hard, like the old wineskins would be. And Jesus brings us to a place where he fills us with his Holy Spirit and he softens our hearts again, like we read in Ezekiel. He gives us he removes that heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. He gives, he gives us a heart that is soft. 
We come up with our own coping mechanisms uh, to deal with life's pressures, to deal with life difficulties. And God, he takes that and he doesn't just chuck it away. Say, it's okay, I can handle it. My love, my grace is enough to deal with your cracks. I believe that that's what happened this morning when, when you came forwards, people came forward. He says, I can't, I've got something that it's impossible. I can't deal with these wounds. I can't deal with these scars. I can't deal with this situation. I'm cracked and torn, and I feel like I'm going to explode with the pressure. And God takes us. He takes us just as we are. And he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is that ointment that permeates our whole being and soften our hearts so that we can contain new wine, so that we can receive what God has for us, the new season, the new thing that he wants to do. So back to Matthew. So Matthew is just, he's just received the call from Jesus. Jesus just saved him from a, from a life of, of hell and despair and isolation and sin. He says, come follow me. I've got something better for you. And he's seeing Jesus doing these miracles. And he's hearing Jesus speaking this truth. And in the same chapter, towards the end of the chapter, in uh, verses 36 and 38, here's what we... Here's what Matthew sees Jesus doing and saying. And when he saw the crowds, that's Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, including Matthew, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I just wonder the, the uh, uh, emotions, the feelings, uh, what must have been going through, through Matthew's mind and, and heart. He's, he's my Lord and my Savior. He's just rescued me from, from a meaningless life. He's given me purpose. He's, he's brought me onto this life with him that it's full on. I'm seeing miracles and wonders, and he's speaking these truths, and, and it's fantastic. And now I see my Lord and my Savior, and he's heartbroken. And he's heartbroken over the lost and the hopeless and the helpless. And he's saying, Matthew, disciples, pray for the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but my heart is broken, and I cannot rest Until there's people that are broken and lost and do not know me. I cannot rest and that is why I'm always on the move. Because I cannot stay still until there's people that are lost without knowing me. It's the the Lord that shares his heart with, with someone that was just the lowest of the lowest. The Lord that shares his, his, his heart with, with this man that he's just rescued from hell, basically. And isn't that incredible that that is exactly what God does with us? He's rescued us from the pit. 
He's rescued us from darkness. We all have our past. We all have our cracks and our scars and our thorns. And he's taken us out. And he's, and he's speaking truth. And then he shares his heart. And he says, look at Eltham. Look, there's people that are helpless and hopeless and that cannot rest. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. I went to a conference this week. Uh, it was uh, by a youth charity called the XLP, which some of you might know. Uh, the conference was on tackling poverty and injustice. Uh, it was um, Duncan Ian Smith was there. David Lammy was there. It was great panels, speakers. It's fantastic stories, heartbreaking stories of poverty, but very inspiring stories of uh, of how God has used uh, XLP as a ministry to turn young people's lives. And the vicar from St. Martin's in the Fields shared this message that I want to share with you just before I close. He said, Jesus spent the last week of his life working for us. He was saying in the context of charity and, and, and justice and ministry, you can work for people when you do something that people can't do in, on their own. You can work with people uh, and you can be for a cause, advocating and, and uh, protesting, and you can be with people. And, and, and he put the life of Jesus in this context. He, it was always, Jesus was always for a cause, for the kingdom, he, he, he spent the last week of his life working for us when he did something that we couldn't do uh, ourselves when he went to the cross. He spent three years with the disciples working with them, organizing and mentoring and teaching and discipling them, preaching and doing miracles. But he spent 30 years being with us. The God of the universe the God that holds heaven and earth, the creator of heaven and earth, the God who is outside of time, spent 30 years being with us. Just being. Amen. Now that is incredible. That is the mystery of the gospel. That is why Christianity stands out. It's not a religion but it's a relationship with a God that left his divinity to be a man and be with us. And that's why the Pharisees couldn't understand what is Jesus doing? He's eating and drinking with these tax collectors and these sinners. And that is what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to be with people. He calls us to be his hands and his feet. He's call, he calls us to be his eyes and his heart to our neighbors, to our families, to this community. And I just want to share something, a little a story about a church, a local church, just before I close, and I hope that encourages us. So there was a church that wanted to, uh, to reach out into the community, wanted to uh, see themselves as being missionary in their own town. So they set out uh, to, um, to, to send themselves out into the community uh, and to connect with people and to start meeting people. And they decided to do that by um, 
making friends, just going out, inviting people to their homes, eating together, sharing food, sharing life, week in, week out, week in, week out. Within the first year, the second year, they met 30 plus new people that they had not known before, that they're not met before, and week in, week out, they're eating together, they're meeting, they're um, going to each other's house, they're meeting for tea, they're going out for a drink, and in, in, in that, they're, they're trying to share the gospel, and, and trying to think, how can we do this? How can we uh, uh, bring the gospel into the day-to-day stuff that we do t- together? So they started some Bible studies, they started looking at uh, books, uh, or they would go out for a drink and then say, look, we talk about uh, life stuff. And then we, we pray together and they started praying with non-Christian, people that had never been to church so that they wouldn't go to church. And, uh, and on a weekly basis, they would have Bible studies with non-church friends. Uh, and, and some of these were the, was the first time that they ever heard the gospel, uh, the very first time that they ever heard about Jesus. And it was just being uh, with, with people. Uh, and then, uh, you know, there was opportunities to invite some of these new friends to, uh, to church events, uh, to conferences. Some of them went on to conference. Some of them went on to complete Alpha. Uh, a couple of these families even became part of the church on a regular basis uh, and started meeting God and, and really experiencing God. And some became more of the church visitors, knowing that they could come in and always be loved and accepted uh, and, and pop in at any time. Just being, opening their homes uh, to, to, to new people and being together. That's exciting. Yes? It sounds like a fantastic ministry. The type of stuff that you would read in books, right? You'd be surprised if I told you that this happens here in our church. Because all I've been describing is missional community. And I'm not doing this in any way, shape or form to boast because I am part of missional community. Because it's the Lord's work. But really, when we set out a few years ago, as a group of cracked and torn people, believe me, very imperfect group of people, they just decided to be and connect with others over food. One of the most simple things that Jesus showed us how to do, just eating together. And it's incredible to see how God used that very normal thing of opening our homes and just being together with people to share the gospel with people that we never met And for us to connect and make friends with people that we've never known before. And to share the hope that we have in Jesus. And to pray with non-Christians and to pray with people that don't go to church. I believe that Missional Community, when we started, was new wineskin. Was fresh wineskin for new wine. I believe that there's new wine that God wants to pour out today. We heard it already. God wants to do something new. And he's looking. He's looking for cracked and torn wineskins. He's looking for imperfect, 
ordinary individuals that he can take and heal and make whole and restore and pour out new wine so that we can be Jesus to those who are lost, so that we can be Jesus to those who are suffering, so that we can be Jesus to those who are helpless and hopeless around us. Are we ready to be fresh wineskins for God's new wine? Shall we pray together? I'll have the worship team maybe come and uh, lead us into a song as we respond. Or if we can stand up and you know, pray for us. Jesus. Maybe there's some of us today that feel quite cracked and torn and not really ready or worthy to of God's new wine. We feel that that doesn't apply to us, that we don't have the position or the merits for God to take us into a new season. And God is saying, I am not done with you. I am not done with you. I love to take your cracks, your imperfections, your shortfalls, your failures, your sins, your scars, and seep through with my Holy Spirit. I want to make you whole and pour out something new. Lord, we thank you that you are here right now. We thank you that you want to meet with us. You've already met with us this morning. And I pray that I thank you that you are doing something new. I pray that none of us would miss out. Jesus. Yes, Lord, take us into something new. We just want to say we're here. Fill us with your spirit. Bring healing. Make us whole. Make us vessel that we may pour out to those that you have put around us. That we may pour out healing and love and grace and mercy and forgiveness into those situations. Like you took the disciples back into their day-to-day routine. Take us back into our workplace. Take us back into a family situation. Take us back to that one relationship that is just the pain of our lives. Take us back into that financial difficulty Take us back filled with new wine. In Jesus' name.